0: Father, we we come before your altar today. We come before you laying down all of the burdens which we were never meant to carry. Laying before you all of those things that we need to let go of. And whether it's a sin that we need to repent of, or if it's just something that we're trying to carry on our own that we're not supposed to. pray, Father, that you would help us to hear your voice, to draw closer to you, to listen to your word today, get me out of the way. May your spirit be the one who teaches us. In Jesus' name, amen. James chapter 5, verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders in the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effect of fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain. and The earth produced its fruit. Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way save a soul from death, and cover a multitude of sins. Our journey through the book of James is coming to an end. I have personally loved spending time in this very practical book that is meant to help us grow in our maturity and our relationship with Christ. Now, I've said this before, but I think it's an appropriate question as we begin this last message in James. You see, it's great for us to study the Word of God. And we should, quite regularly. But the question is, how much good is it really doing in our daily lives? In other words, am I different from spending this time in the book of James? And I tell you what, the Lord has smacked me around a lot over the last five months. Good smacking. Love smacks. Because he loves me. And he's dealt with some things in my life that some things that I didn't even know I needed to have dealt with. Some things that I knew, but I was really trying to avoid. Like, let's not talk about that. It'll just be easier if we don't, if we don't talk about that, Lord. Let's talk about something else. And Lord's like, nope, we're talking about this because I'm going to have you teach through the book of James, and now you have to deal with it. Because if you're going to tell everybody else to deal with it, you've got to deal with it first in your own life. And so I have to ask that question. You have to ask that question. Are we different? Are you different as a result of our study in the book of James? And I truly hope so. Today, we will look at the effective prayer of a righteous man. Really a righteous person. I'll explain that when we get that far. How important it is for us to be here for one another, supporting one another, praying for one another, confronting one another. We talked a little bit about that in Sunday school this morning. And we'll talk about a few other things along the way, just for fun. You guys ready? So the first two verses, James asks three questions and he gives us the appropriate answer. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone among you cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him or her, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Three questions, three answers. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. This is the most appropriate response to suffering in our lives. Now, I want you to understand the word suffering here because the word suffering here means to undergo hardship, to be afflicted, to endure afflictions, or to suffer, suffer hardship or trouble. But what's important about this is this is not just physical. Is anyone among you suffering physically? Let them pray. Is anyone among you suffering emotionally? Let them pray. Is anyone among you suffering spiritually? Let them pray. It's any type of suffering. The word encompasses all of it. Right? Because maybe you look at me and, right, well, he seems like he's doing okay. Maybe I'm not. But maybe you can't see what's not doing okay. And for those of you who know me, you know I'm not always okay. But when we go through any type of suffering, what's the first thing we should do? We take it to the Lord. I run to the Father. I fall into grace. I'm done with the hiding. No reason to wait. Because my heart needs a surgeon and my soul needs a friend. And do you just do it once? No, you run to the Father. Again and again and again and again. Psalm 50. Verse 15 says, Call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. Number two, second question Is anyone cheerful? Sing. I like that one. Let him sing psalms. The word for cheerful here means cheerful. Go figure, right? Um, but it also means to cheer up. So when we put it in context of the passage, when you take your suffering to the Lord and he answers that prayer, then you praise him. That's why I chose that psalm. Then you praise him for answering that prayer. If you're suffering, pray. When he answers that prayer and you become cheerful, same. you worship him because he deserves it. Psalm 59 Verses 16 and 17 said, I will sing of your power. Yes, I will sing aloud of your mercy in the morning, for you have been my defense and refuge in the day of my trouble. To you, O my strength, I will sing praises, for God is my defense, my God of mercy. So if you're suffering, you pray. When he gives you relief from that suffering, you pray. Number three, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Now, I think one of the biggest problems we have in the church is either a fear of or unwillingness to admit our problems to one another. One of our biggest problems that we have in the church is a fear of or unwillingness to admit our problems to one another. And we're going to talk more about that in a moment. But James here is telling us that we're, if we're sick, and once again, just like suffering, this does include a physical ailment, but it can include other things. That if we're sick, the word means to be feeble in any sense. Are you emotionally feeble? Spiritually feeble? Physically feeble? That's a funny word. Feeble. Right? Then you call on the elders of the church and let them pray for you. It can mean to be diseased. Are you actually sick? Is there actually something going on in your body that you need healing from? It can mean to be impotent or weak. So this can be a physical ailment, spiritual ailment, an emotional issue. And what are we supposed to do? Call on the elders of the church, be anointed with oil, which is a symbol of the Holy Spirit coming upon us. And if you've never had it done to you, it's weird. It's a little awkward. I've been anointed with oil and prayed over for things before. And to stand there and have people gather around you and and wipe oil across your forehead and lay their hands on you, it's a little awkward. But one, it works. Because prayer works. God is good. doesn't mean you'll necessarily be healed of whatever you're dealing with right at that moment, but at the very least, you're surrounded and supported by people who love you and in the presence of God. And two, I'm just going to throw this out there, The Bible tells us to do it. You know, so you you might not want to feel awkward. You might not want to do it in front of the whole church. That's fine. Just call on the elders. We can do it privately, separately. It doesn't matter. But it is a command. We're not done with that yet. What's the result of it? What's the result? The prayer of faith will save the sick. So we believe that God will work. The Lord will raise him up, which means to waken, rouse, rise, stand, or take up, which I really love. Because either it means you can wake somebody up out of a spiritual, physical ailment, or it can mean that God takes them up. Right When we bring a person before God in prayer, God takes them up and holds them. Ooh, what a beautiful picture that is. And if he's committed any sins, he'll be forgiven. Three questions. Are you suffering? Pray. Are you cheerful? Sing. Are you sick? Call on the elders and let them pray for you. That's why we're here. It does not hurt my feelings one bit when somebody asks me to pray for them. never has. It never will. So we move on to verse 16, which continues this line of thought. Verse 16 says, Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Elijah was a man with nature like ours and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again and the heaven gave rain and the earth produced its fruit. Now if you remember this passage from um. I want to say it was 1 Kings. In that season, Ahab was king. Jezebel his wife was queen. She was really the run, the one running things, because Ahab was kind of a coward, and Jezebel was ambitious and evil. I don't know how else you put it. And in that process, there was great disobedience, idol worship, all this going on. And so God told Elijah, pray that there would be a drought, so he did. Now, right before that drought ended was Elijah's face-off with the 400 prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel, where God answered by fire, Elijah killed all those prophets, and then we see an amazing season in Elijah's life. Uh, Right after that, he prays, a storm cloud comes, he says the drought's over, and then Jezebel threatens to kill him, and he runs, because he's afraid for his life. Really interesting season for Elijah. And we love to use, verse 16, confess your trespasses to one another, pray for one another that you may be healed. And a lot of people really just like to take the last part, the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. We don't like the first part so much. Just so you you know that already. We love to use this verse as an encouragement to others, as an encouragement to pray, but do we enact it in our lives? That's the question. The Bible tells us in 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess our sins, he, speaking of God, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We confess to God for forgiveness, right? I can't forgive you. Well, I mean, if you offend me, then I can offer my forgiveness. But ultimately, I can't forgive you because all sin is against God. I can't make you right with him. I can tell you how to be right with him, but I can't make you. We confess to one another, or we confess to God for forgiveness, but we confess to one another for healing. That's what this verse is telling us. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. In the context of prayer, in the context of calling on the elders, we are then told to confess our trespasses. False offenses and sins is what it means to one another for healing, or so we can be made whole. And like I mentioned earlier, and I told you we talk about this again, this is something that we are either afraid to do or unwilling to do. And there's a couple reasons for it. Maybe we want to save face. I don't want you to know what I'm struggling with, or you don't want me to know what you're struggling with. Well, guess what, folks? You already know this. I struggle with stuff. You know that. I've told you about it. When I'm really struggling and we have our elders meetings, I tell them what I need prayer for. And and I know you guys know this. But you know my struggles. I don't hide them don't. And if you don't know what they are, come ask me, I'll tell you. Because when we hide things, when we're ashamed of them, when we're afraid to admit them, when we're afraid somebody else will know about it, guess what happens? Your mind becomes Satan's playground. And he goes, well, yeah, of course you can't tell anybody about that. That's shameful. Well, of course you can't tell anybody you're depressed. Because Christians don't get depressed. Yes, they do. I do. Some of uh, you guys don't know how bad it has been. and I'm grateful that I'm actually doing okay at the moment. Of course, I'm preaching. so we'll <laughs> I always do okay when I'm preaching because I love my job. But I get depressed. I get tempted to sin. I've confessed to you all before, my children here, that I used to have a, a, a serious addiction to pornography, that I praise God I've been delivered from. But guess what? on Wednesdays, never happens on Tuesday and Thursday when the lead kids are here, but on Wednesdays when I'm in my office by myself working, I'll get a little whisper in my ear. Oh, why didn't you just look up some pornography? And I'm not going to tell you what I said. It's not pretty. And I shut my computer and walk away. And I'll come in here and pray. If it's really bad, I'll leave. I'll go get in my car and drive away. And I'll take a little bit of time away until I've had time to get with the Lord so I can come back and open my laptop up again without hearing that whisper. But, there you go, I've confessed. You guys want to know everything else? You'll have to come and have coffee with me because it'll take a while. But we're unwilling, so now I've done it on the internet, on a digital recording and in front of all of you. What else do you want to know? I have an anger problem. Ask John. Every now and then I swear when we play pickleball. I don't mean to, but sometimes you hit a ball out and you're just like, I try, to, I try to say pickle. Oh dear, that's one of our minds. Every now and then it comes out. Not because I mean to. But we don't want other people to know. What's another reason? We're afraid. We're afraid. You want to know what happens when you're no longer afraid? It loses its power. Or we think we're going to be judged. Go ahead and judge me. I love you all, but none of you are my judge. There it is. This is my judge. God's word, his truth. One day I'll stand before Jesus. I won't stand before you. I'll stand before Jesus. And I'm not saying only God can judge me, because a lot of people can judge me. But I'm going to be super, super honest. There's five or six people in the world whose opinions I truly care about. Four of them are sitting right there. You know, and if you come to me and go, well, I just think this, you can come to me and you can tell me that. Chances are, unless it's out of this book, I'm probably not going to listen to you. I love you, but you're not God. But we get afraid. And in the end, we are only as sick as our secrets. We are only as sick as our secrets. When we keep this stuff in, when we refuse to acknowledge it, when we refuse to repent of it, when we refuse to ask for help from others, what are we missing? We are missing our own healing. That's what we're missing. We are missing out on being made whole by the power of God, working in each of us for our individual and corporate benefit. If you don't seek the help you need, you hurt yourself because you're not getting the help and healing you need and you're hurting all of us because you're not whole or I'm not whole. Which means we can offer less for the kingdom of God. Now, if you feel guilty, if you feel shame, if you feel like you need to repent, that's not my goal. Well, if, if you need to repent, then that is part of my goal. But I don't want you to feel guilty. I don't want you to feel shame. I want you to hear what the Bible is telling us. I want you to hear That when we confess to one another, God brings healing and helps make us whole. We confess to him for forgiveness. We confess to one another for healing. Now let me prove it. David, and many of us know this account from the Old Testament. David, the guy that God called a man after my own heart. The guy to whom God promised that the Messiah would come through his line, and he did. David was of the tribe of Judah. Jesus was born as a descendant of David. to the man to whom God promised that he would never fail to have a descendant seated on the throne. Great guy. Committed adultery and murder. We all know that. He was out on, it's in 2 Samuel chapters 11 and 12. He was out on the roof one day at the time of year when kings go to war. I find that interesting that they had war season. Oh, it's October. Let's go kill some folk. What? <laughs> but at the time of the year when kings went out to war, they were out at war, and where was David? He stayed home. Where should he have been? should have been at war. And he goes out on his roof at night, and some people say it was an accident. No, he'd been watching her, I guess, for a while. I'm going to be honest. And my wife knows this. If we had a rooftop terrace... And, and there was an attractive woman that bathed naked on the roof next door. She would have to lock the door and hold me inside because I'd probably be like, I need to go tell her about Jesus. So he's up on the roof, looking across the way. Bathsheba's up there bathing naked, right? Everyone blames David. Don't you think she knew the king could see her? Throwing that out there, right? David was wrong. I'm guessing she was wrong too. David sends a messenger. Oh, why don't you come over and have a cup of coffee? That's probably not what the message said. She comes over. He has an affair. She gets pregnant. He calls Uriah. Send Uriah home. I need a a favor. Oh, Uriah, how are things going? Well, everything's going great, King. Good, go home. Have sex with your wife. It's a good idea. And Uriah goes, I can't do that. All my brothers are out in the field. They're in battle. I can't do that. So he slept on the steps of the palace when his home was right by the palace, clearly. But he refused to go home. So David's like, man, I'm in trouble. She's pregnant. If he doesn't have sex with her, I'm in trouble. So he says, stay one more night. What does he do? Being the man after God's own heart that he is. Gets him drunk! he's drunk, certainly he'll go home. And even if he doesn't remember what happened, we can say, even drunk, Uriah had more integrity. How can I do this? So he refuses. So then David, the man after God's own heart, writes a note to Joab, telling Joab, Put Uriah at the front, have everyone else pull back so Uriah will die. Joab, clearly not a man of integrity, because he doesn't ask why. David, losing all integrity, has Uriah carry his own death sentence to Joab. Uriah takes the note. And David trusted Uriah's integrity so much, he knew he wouldn't open it. So he goes. Plan is carried out. Uriah dies, and David. Oh, poor Bathsheba! Your husband died. You come stay with me. I'll take care of you. Dude. Lo, the man after God's own heart dies. Nathan comes and sees him, and the Lord says, "Nathan, I need you to do something for me. I need you to deal with this guy." So Nathan comes in and he tells him a story. David, I want to tell you a story. And David's like, whoa, okay. There were these neighbors. One was very wealthy and one was very poor. He only had one little lamb, and that little lamb slept in his bed. He treated it like his own daughter, while the other man had a flock of sheep. Now, the rich man had a guest, had a visitor. And instead of slaughtering one of his own sheep, he goes next door, steals this man's, this poor man's one little sheep, kills it, and feeds it to his guest. And David, enraged, this man will surely die. Now, according to the law, if you stole, you restored fourfold. So according to the law, if this story were true, the wealthy man would have to give four sheep to the poor man not be put to death. But David's enraged. Have you ever noticed how terrible our sin looks on other people? You ever notice that? Right? I have an anger problem. I know that. Most most people know that about me. I praise God that it, it doesn't come out as often as it used to, but it still comes out from time to time. Yesterday at Pickleball, we were watching this guy and I won't use any names because you might know him. He lives here in Gunnison. He got so frustrated he broke a hundred and fifty dollar pickleball paddle by slamming against the ground. And I was sitting. I'm like, "Wow, that was dumb." And the Lord was like, Urgh. "Shh, <laughs> yeah, let's not talk about things I've broken. That's that's not important now. What's important is that looks really bad. Right? I've broken things in my anger. And Nathan." looks at his friend, at his king, and says, O king, you're the man. You have wealth. You have multiple wives. You're the king. You can have any woman you want if she's not already married. And you stole this woman away from Uriah, and you had him killed to try to cover your tracks." And David was broken. Honestly, because he was a man after God's own heart. He wrote Psalm 51 in response. I'm going to read verses 1 through 4 and 10 through 13. I highly encourage you to read the whole thing. It says this. Have mercy upon me, O God. According to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledged my transgressions. And if you go back and read 2 Samuel 11 and 12, you'll notice that he acknowledged his transgression first to Nathan and then to God. Now you may need to do it the other way around, but he confessed to God for his forgiveness, which is what Psalm 51 represents. And if you look at 2 Samuel 11 and 12, he confessed to Nathan. He admitted to the prophet what he had done. And my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. He goes on in verse 10 and says, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me by your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners shall be converted to you. So now this is not the type of confession we think of. Because we think of the Catholic variation. You know, forgive me, Father, for I have sinned speaking to the priest and then no 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 that's not what this is talking about this is us being involved in one another's lives loving and caring for one another to the point that i can say to my brothers or my sisters hey i've blown it i did something wrong please pray for me or i can ask my brothers and sisters to hold me accountable you know i i've confessed one of my former things so you want to know what i did My wife has access to every electronic device I own. She knows all my passwords, and I promise that I won't clear my history. Ever. I was actually looking for something that I couldn't, that I have a website I couldn't remember for something else. And and I was searching through my history, and I have like three years of history on my laptop. Like, I kind of want to clear it just to get that cache gone. But she knows she can log into any of my devices at any time of That simple. So I ask for people to help me keep keep me accountable. I ask for help in my walk with Christ. If I'm struggling or I need encouragement or support, I ask. Not always. Certainly not always as quickly as I should. I'll be honest. Sometimes it takes me a little while. But I do, I ask. Because we need each other. We need each other. We have to have one another. And why does this work? Well, James tells us, because the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Now, the word there for man uh, does not exist in the Greek. It is actually the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous person. So some of your translations may have removed that gender distinction. Um, But some may not. So it's not just saying that it's men. Ladies, your effective, fervent prayer matters too. It avails much. And I don't know about you. I've met some guys who are prayer warriors. I've met a lot more women who are prayer warriors. Something about, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's because you're more in touch with your emotions. Maybe it's because you're more faithful. Maybe it's just because women are better than men. It's Mother's Day. Can I say that out loud? I'm not going to argue. I would much rather be a man. I watched my wife give birth to those kids. That looked like it hurt. So I'd much rather be a man. But women are better. Come on, guys. Give me a name. Thank you. And so it, it has nothing to do with gender. The effect of fervent prayer righteous person avails much. Because... The active, effectual, mighty work. That's what the word effective means. Active, effectual, mighty work. Of fervent or passionate prayer. Or supplication, which is making request of God. Of a righteous person. This is a person who is equitable in character or act. Who is innocent, holy, or just. The prayer of that person has great force ability, or prevailing strength to make someone whole. You don't think we need each other? We do. There's power in prayer. We know this. James uses Elijah as an example of this. His prayer both caused and ended a drought in Israel. His prayer, which isn't listed here, but in that same section of scripture, uh, uh, didn't convince, but moved God to answer by fire. His prayer gave him the ability and the strength from God to kill 400 plus false prophets. But there's also power when we pray for one another. And we should or must be praying for one another. Our lives as a community of Christ followers should be entwined with one another. And what a lot of us do is we come on Sunday, we hear the sermon, we go on with our lives like nothing happened. If that's how you treat church, I want to lovingly tell you you're wrong. Because that's, I can't treat church that way. Y'all are my family. The folks that aren't here today, my family. The, the people that I'm related to, my family too. But, but you all are my family. You want to know why I feel that way? Because I know if I need something, I could call you and you'd show up. I hope you know that if you need something, you can call me and I'll show up. I need your support. You need mine. I need your love. You need mine. I need your encouragement. You need mine. And this doesn't happen unless we are involved in one another's lives, unless we are living our lives in Christ together. When we do, healing and wholeness is the result. Let me give you a few other scriptures that that throw this out there. They should be in your notes. right? Jesus commanded us to love one another in John 15, 12. We are told to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ in Galatians 6, 2. Right? We are to cast our burdens upon him, for he cares for us. And then we are to bear one another's burdens. If you're going through something, and you're going through it alone, stop. We're here. Let us walk with you. We're told to live in unity in Romans twelve 16. We're commanded to consider one another, and stir one another up in love and good works, and to not forsake meeting together in Hebrews 10, 24, and 25. Just like this message is one of the reasons I wanted to preach through the book of James, is to get here, Hebrews chapter 10 is one of the reasons I want to preach through Hebrews. I can't wait till we get there. (laughs) It'll take us a while. We, We might be there by Christmas. You see, the church is meant to be a community of believers. Encouraging one another, holding one another up, while we reach out to bring others into a relationship with Jesus and into our community of faith. We cannot do this alone. We cannot do this when we are unwilling to participate in the life of Christ in our church family. So my prayer for all of us is that we would not just listen to this, but by God's grace and power that we would live it out in our lives. Two verses. Let's finish the book of James. Brethren, if any one among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. So another area that we tend to struggle in is confronting one another when one of us wanders from the truth. God's word is not only telling us that it's okay for us to do this, but he's commanding us to do it. If anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back. So this is a person who has gone astray from the truth in some way, or they have been deceived in some way. We are called to turn them back, which means to revert, convert, or bring to repentance. When we see this happening in the life of another believer, we are called to confront them. Now, it's not fun. But Matthew 18 tells us how to do it. Right? First, we go to them one-on-one. You see me in sin. I see you in sin. We're going to have a conversation. And it's not going to be me judging you and telling you you're going to hell. That's going to be me trying to find out what's going on in your life and to help you repent and move forward. You go one-on-one. If it doesn't work, you go with two or three others. I've done that too. Oh, Even less fun. I'm serious. If that doesn't work, you bring them before the church. I've had to go that far once. It was horrible. It's not about embarrassing somebody. It's not about exposing their deepest, darkest secrets. It's about saving someone we love from an error that could destroy. The reason I study and teach the Bible the way I do is because I don't want to be in error. That doesn't mean I don't make mistakes. I do. But I don't want to be in error. Especially not one that can kill me. And then he says, let him know that he who turns a sinner away from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Confronting people over sin isn't fun, but it is Loving. I've told this story before, but it's Mother's Day, so I'll bring it out again. You guys remember I have told you the story about our electric stove with the the spirally elements? And how my mom looked at me and said, now, it's still hot. Don't put your hand on the stove. And how I, a mighty six-year-old, knew better. Whole hand burned rings into it and I'm sitting there at the table with my hand on a bag of ice and my mom's like, Well I told you not to put your hand on there. Like, Thanks, Mom. Hi. Um but why did she tell me not to touch the stove? Because she loved me. I'm sure she still does. I just don't touch stoves anymore. Right? So this is not about oh I can't wait to confront so and so over their sin and see them squirm in their seat. It's, no, I love you, and I don't want this to continue hurting you. And so I'm going to try and help you deal with it. When we're motivated by love, and a longing for that person to be restored to a right relationship with God, this action can save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Go back to David and Nathan. I said this before, but I'm guessing Nathan did not want to f- confront his friend, and certainly didn't want to confront his king over an egregious sin he had committed, and David could have put Nathan to death. Nathan probably knew that, but he did it anyway. and David repented. There were lifelong consequences for this sin. We've talked about that. sin always has consequences. But David was restored a right relationship with God. And that's what mattered most. As we close, the book of James has been wonderful for me. As I said at the beginning, it's reminded me of so much, it's taught me so much, and I encourage you this week, right? I don't always give homework, but I'm going to give a little homework. I encourage you this week to sit down and read the whole book in one go. Five chapters, it won't take that long. And let God remind you of the things that he wants you to take away from this book. Most of all, I want to encourage us as a church to be a community that participates in the life of Christ. And we do so by participating in one another's lives. I'm not saying to tell someone in the church everything you've ever done wrong. But if you're suffering, pray. Let us pray with you. If you're cheerful, let us Rejoice with you. If you're sick, call on us elders. Let us pray for you. If you're struggling with something, talk to someone within the church. Let us pray with you, love you, encourage you, and by the power of God's Spirit, help you get through it. Do you know someone who's been deceived or wandered off from the faith? Then by the love of Christ and the power of His Spirit, confront that person. Not to tear them down, but to build them up in their faith and to help be a bridge that restores them to a right relationship with God. This is our call. Right? Some of you may be thinking, I hope not, but some of you may be thinking, you're the pastor, that's your job. It is my job. Not because I'm a pastor, but because I'm a Christian. And it's all of our job to love one another and serve one another, and to go out there and love and serve them. Imagine, just imagine, the life and healing that can and will take place as we take God at his word and in his power walk it out. Folks, we don't know all that's possible but I think we could. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. And I thank you for the amazing book of James and for all that you've taught us through it over the past few months. I praise you, Lord, that you have created the church to be a family that loves and supports and encourages one another, where we can walk out our faith in you Please help us to do so. I pray for all the moms, that you would bless them, fill them with your love and grace, Lord. And we just thank you for the moms. Without them, um, well, none of us would be here. (laughs) Uh, That's just biology, Lord. Um, But at the same time, uh, for the moms in our lives, for my mom and my wife, uh, two of the greatest moms I know, and for all the moms who are here today or any of the moms watching us online, thank you, God, for moms. They do so much, and they don't get all the appreciation they deserve, and they love so much. And I just thank you. Pray, Father, that you'd be with us as we move out the rest of our day and the rest of our week. May you be glorified in all we do. In Jesus' name.